Well, we are week three, and uh, I'm going to cram week three and four into uh, one, because next week I said we had uh, Pastor Jeremy coming to join us. Uh, if you're online, I'm sorry, but um, I don't know, you can't hear me apparently, so that's fine. We get to be without them today. I'll post it online later, and uh, they can join in. I'll just let Brenda know later. Post online, if I can learn how to type. Later, cool. Which is why we record it as well. Cool. Uh, also, I just want to say, Rebecca sent us a nice little text message. Uh, she said, Liara has been watching church online and, and uh, reaching into the TV, wanting to be here with us this morning. And so she's, uh, she's missing us with this morning as our, as our family. And so we know that uh, they're homesick as well today. But uh, glad that they could at least join for the first part of the, at least get, they got to the kids' song. I know that much. So I know Liara is missing us today. So if you can hear us, Rebecca, we miss you guys as well. But uh, week three, we started uh, Acts 2.35, where, where it says that it is more blessed, someone say more blessed, to give than to receive. And so last week, I shared a couple stories of how generosity changed my life. And, and I didn't get to tell all the stories. And so as we kind of springboard into this one, uh, I'm going to tell you another kind of more personal story and experience of generosity and uh, I can't tell you all of them because I have just been extremely blessed my entire life by the generosity of others. And uh, I pray that I am also a blessing as well. But uh, we recognize today that generosity isn't about how much we have, uh, but it's about trusting God with what we do have. And it's not about waiting till we have enough, but we're trusting that God is more than enough. Now, I... Um, uh, there's a couple moments in my life where I've experienced incredible amounts of generosity, and it has changed my life quite literally. And so if, for those who don't know my story, I was raised by, by my mom's single-parent home, just her and I at home. And uh, she didn't have the best-paying best job, but we always had food on the table, and I don't know how, but she always made a way. And when I was, I guess, an SK is when we started going to church, I, I literally dragged my mom up the hill to church and said, we're going to start going to church, and this is one we're going to. And for some reason, she listened to me. And uh, we went to church, and she sat there, and she felt super convicted. It wasn't because someone was looking at her or saying the right words, but she just felt God say, hey, Dixie, I need you to get your life in order, and I want you to be part of my family. And that kind of freaked her out. And she said, I'm never going back again. And I came up from kids' church, and I said, this is the church we're going to, and I can't wait to come back and next week. And, and so we took a two-week break, and she, for those two weeks, realized that she couldn't not go back to church. That uh, even though she felt the way that she did, she had to go back. And she did. And so as uh, we started going to church, experiencing the different things of church life, we learned that our church actually had a, had a school, a Christian school that was uh, a part of the church. And as a, as a young kid, all of my friends went to the Christian school, and I didn't. And I said, I would like to go. My mom said, I can't afford to send you to a private Christian school. And uh, so that was kind of the end of the conversation. Then as we kind of grew in our faith a little bit more, she said, well, Gary, you know, I said, I can't afford to send you to school. And this is the conversation with, you know, a grade one student, grade two student. She said, why don't you just start praying and asking God that uh, he would make a way for you to go? And so when I started in grade two, I prayed for a whole year and a half and said, God, if you every night before bed, I'd say my prayer. And God, if you could make a way for me to go to the school, um, I would really like to do that. And I would be my prayer every night along with whatever else I would pray for. And I'd go to sleep, and the next night I'd do the same thing. 
Well, my mom was working for an accountant at the time, as, uh, and during tax season, it was always her busy, busy time of the year, of course, for any accountant helping people file their taxes. It's always busy, and computers were still new at the whole filing taxes at the time. And so uh, her boss said to her, when tax season is done, and over this next year, my wife wants to, she's going to retire from her job, but she wants to help with the business. And so when that happens, your hours are going to be reduced. And so here I was praying, God, would you make a way for me to go to school? And my mom finds out that her hours at work are going to be reduced, which means she's going to have even less. Which, you know, in grade two, I didn't really understand what that meant. But I know now that my prayer became a a, a lot bigger prayer of faith than I ever thought it would. And so one day, the principal of the school, and she had never had this really had this conversation with anybody about my prayer and my desire. One day, the principal of the school came up to my mom and said, hey, I hear Gary wants to come to school here. And uh, she says, oh, you have? You, did you, you heard that, did you? And like, I didn't say anything. It was just someone obviously either heard me pray or heard us talk about it or the Lord just spoke to him and said, well, hey, we, we have a couple students that need a, a little bit of extra help and, and some mentoring and some tutoring and, and coaching. And they said, if you would be willing and able to, to fill in some of that role, um, we would be able to cover the tuition for Gary to come to school here. And so she thought about it and prayed about it. And then that same week, her boss came to her and said, okay, my wife's retiring on this day in January. She's going to come, and so her hours are going to change a little bit. And uh, long story short, we went to Subway for dinner, which was always a treat, in Sioux Lookout. We sat down, and my mom said, well, I got some exciting news for you. And I said, well, what's that? And she says, well, what have you been praying about? I said, I don't know. <laughs> just in the excitement of Subway, I guess. And she says, well, we found a way that you get to go to New Life Christian Academy starting next week. And when I was halfway through grade three, uh, the Lord finally answered my prayer, gave my wife the right time of a job to be able to afford to send me to private Christian school. And I don't know how she did it beyond that job. didn't last that long. I don't know how she did it beyond that. But some way, somehow, God always made a way and always provided. And I went and paid for the school until I was in, I think, grade 10 before I went to the public high school. And uh, what an incredible story that I get to carry for the rest of my life about how God provided for our needs. And not just needs, but a desire in our own heart. Answer the prayer of a child. And I tell you what, it, uh, I would probably still be a pastor today whether I went to the school or not. I'd be a Christian today whether I went to the school or not. But I am so grateful for the education I received and the biblical education I received at that time. Because every day I had to read the Bible and every day I got to know a little bit more about God. And every week we'd have chapel services, which I got to learn how to lead worship in. And I've shared this before, 13-year-old voice-changing males should not be allowed to sing in church publicly, but they did. They took a chance on me. It was awful, and they suffered for the cause of Christ, and they uh, allowed me to develop some of my skills, and I'm so thankful for all those opportunities who have shaped who I am today. And that is just one story of how generosity changed my life. Now, I know that God blesses us and gives us opportunities so that we can be a blessing to others. And I pray that this story has, one, blessed you. And if you've been praying for something in your own life, we just know and believe, no matter how long it takes for God to answer the prayer the way we expect him to, is that we continue to be faithful, we continue to serve, and we continue to follow, even when we're in the middle of praying and waiting for our breakthrough moment. And so I want to encourage you today, continue to pray. Now, we know that uh, 
We've been blessed uh, a number of times in my life. I could tell you story after story after story of how the generosity of others has shaped and changed my life and given me the ability to speak into the lives of other people as well. And trust me, when someone gives you a nice gift, when someone blesses you, you typically listen to what they have to say. And we're going to get to a story about that in just a few minutes. But uh, when we lived in Oshawa, Elizabeth and I, you know, pre-kids, just her and I, she worked a bunch of times. I was a student in Bible college, and I uh, was able to work as a summer intern at the church we were serving at, and they were able to kind of pay me for the summer. And um, there was a family in our church who were getting kicked out of their house. They had no place to go. They couldn't, they, they couldn't afford rent. Uh, it was really expensive. And Elizabeth and I were kind of meeting with them, hanging out with them one night. And we got home. We said, well, what if we just invited them to live with us at our house? And uh, it was the craziest decision I think we'd ever made. Well, actually, I don't know if it was. But in that moment, it felt pretty cool. And so we went back to their house the next day and said, hey, would you and your two boys like to come live with us for the summer? And that way, you know, summer months, you know, it gives you two, three months, allows you to, to save some money, get your first and last month's rent. You come live with us. And let me tell you, being generous is hard. It was a really good idea until, we, until they moved in. And then it was not as easy to be generous, right? And so sometimes generosity requires sacrifice. And uh, I tell you, I never lived with kids before because I was an only child. And uh, I live with kids now, and they prepared me a little bit. And um, so here we are, our small little, what, two-and-a-half-bedroom, one-bathroom house. Um, not very big at all, smaller than most of the KC houses here in town. And there was six of us living in the house all summer long. And uh, what an experience that was, right, Elizabeth? Yeah, she just worked all the time, and I just kind of hit at the church, and then they just took over the house. It was great. But I'll never forget, so one, the only stipulation that we had with them was, one, that they would save money so they could have first and last month's rent for a new place, which God did provide for them. And the second one, we said, hey, if you want to help just kind of buy the groceries for all of us, that would be, you know, kind of just a nice way to say thank you. And if you can't, whatever, we'll, we'll make it happen. And, uh, but what they, what they started to do when we invited them into our house and how generosity changes things and changes your life is um, they actually discovered they spent less money on food feeding six people than they spent on feeding four people. And the reason for that was, is Elizabeth is a phenomenal meal planner and sales shopper. So she bases the meals based off of what the sales are at the grocery store. And so she just said to this, these friends of ours, hey, this is how we do our shopping. We never have to, to guess what it is we're going to eat this week because it's already planned. And she does all this budgeting and planning. And so they, she kind of just passed on her her superhero ways of meal planning and prepping, which I hate, by the way. I could care less, but she does a phenomenal job. But she taught them, this is, how we, this is how we live. This is how we spend our money. This is how we're good stewards of our money. And through those few short or long months, depending on how you look at it, of them living with us, they learned a couple skills, a couple practical skills that actually changed their life. Because the place they moved into, rent cost them more money. Food prices got up, but they still spent less money on food because they learned how to budget their money properly. And it was just one practical, simple little tidbit of information that we were able to share and pass on to them as they navigated their circumstance. And so I'd like to think that those two months changed their lives even just a little bit because that's what generosity 
does. It inspires generosity in others as well. Um, I, don't, I don't know if you've, if you've ever, uh, maybe we could call it guilty into giving something, but um, if you've ever been around people, and you, you, if you're one of those kind of people that don't like missing out, like you have like FOMO, fear of missing out or something, when you see someone else do something that's really good, it kind of makes you want to do something good, all that to say is that generosity breeds generosity. Generosity breeds generosity. Kindness breeds kindness. Love breeds love. And you can fill in the blank. And so we see this pattern continue. And I tell you, you know, that was such a simple decision for us to make. It didn't really cost us anything except a lot of privacy. And um, yeah, it was incredibly awkward and difficult sometimes. But it really didn't cost us a lot to be generous in that moment. But the impact that we had was so exponentially greater than the sacrifice that we made. And it was like a shift took place even in the church that we were serving. And the place that we were serving, the church had kind of gone through a really hard time. We went and served the pastor that was leading there. We kind of felt called to kind of be his right-hand guy and people and serve and, and bless. And so it was amazing by our simple act of kindness or simple act of generosity, how much that encouraged the church to get more generous toward one another. And it just, it literally broke people's hearts to go, I have this huge house and I live alone. Like they could have lived with me and had their own like wing of the house. And then all these people kind of started came out of the woodwork. We said, yeah, you should have taken them. It would have been easier for us. But the amount of influence it gave us to be able to then speak truth into their lives and encouragement and hope and really breathe new life into the congregation was such a rewarding experience. And it changed our hearts and our lives forever too to go, hey, there's never... Uh, never not a good opportunity to be generous. There's never not a good time to be generous. There's never not a good time to walk in this obedience because generosity changes lives. All right, we're going to go to 1 Corinthians 8 today, 1 to 5, or 2 Corinthians, I guess it is, not 1 Corinthians. And this is kind of where we've been speaking of the last little while. Sorry, not 8 to 1 to 5. We're going to go from 6 to 9 today. But... Um, when we read this, we read about Paul writing to the church in Corinth, talking about how good the Macedonians are. And the Macedonians, if you, if you remember, they are an incredibly poor people. They're like dirt poor. They have nothing. And they said to Paul, hey, we just want to be a part of what's going on. We want to be generous. We want to give whatever we, whatever we can. We want to give to the cause. And we just, we just believe in it so much. We believe that, that God's going to do something through our generosity. We want to be a part of it. And Paul's like, hey, guys, like, hold your horses. You have nothing. Thank you for your attitude. And they said, we don't care. We want to give. And so what happens is, is they give what they can give. And all of a sudden, all this money appears out of nowhere. Now, I already shared that generosity breeds generosity. And so what happened is people saw the church in Macedonia, who was dirt poor, give everything that they had to the cause and give it everything they had. And so it inspired other people to go, well, if they can do it, I can give a little bit more. If they can do that, I can give a little bit more. And all of a sudden, the offering out of Macedonia was huge, bringing to the church all the way in, in Jerusalem for the cause of Paul's work and everything else. And so Paul is sharing this story with the Corinthians. And he's saying, look, you guys have done all of these good things, which we're going to get to in a minute. But this is what he says in 2 Corinthians 8, 6 to 9 from the New Living Translation, which is on my desk. So I'm going to read it from my notes, but it's from the Bible. So we urge Titus, just as he had earlier made a beginning, to bring also to completion this act of grace on your part. And this is really cool. So this is, uh, this is Paul saying to the church in Corinthians. Imagine him saying this to you. 
This is like the really good sports guy at school. But you excel in everything that you do. This is Paul's words to them. He says, you excel in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, and in the love that we have kindled in you. And he says to them in this challenge, see that you also excel in this grace of giving. Verse 8, he says, this is what I appreciate about Paul, and this is the posture that we take when we talk about giving in church. This is the posture we take. He says, I'm not commanding you. I'm not commanding you, but I want to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the eagerness and the earnestness of others. In this case, the church in Macedonia. So Paul's not saying, hey, look, you have to do this. He's just saying, if you truly love the way that you say you do, if you truly care about the way that you already do care because you're so eager and you excel in everything, if you want to continue on this journey, then let me test you in this moment. Let me test you with this opportunity to give. He says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for, this, for your sake he became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. I love Paul's language here. You excel at everything. Faith, speaking, knowledge, love. And he says, here's one area that if you want to continue to excel in all of these things, continue the pattern and continue to excel in your giving. Now pause for a minute. I wonder if Paul was writing a letter to the church on the North Shore. I wonder what that letter would say. It would probably start something like this. Grace and peace to you, brothers and sisters at North Shore Church and Rossport and Scriber and Terrace Bay, dot, dot, dot. What would he say? Well, I could say what I would say to you. I said, grace and peace to you, brothers and sisters in the Lord. You excel at fill in the blank. What does North Shore Church excel at? Go for it. I want to hear from you. Invitation. Belonging, sure. Involving community people is what Nancy said. But belonging, sure. Don't, you can't cheat. Don't look at the words on the wall. But you're right. But she said it in different words. Yeah. Sharing. <laughs> Being connected. I need water, not coffee. How about you, Bill? In your years of experience around here, what's one thing our church has excelled at? So did you say faithful, the first one? Because that's, that's, that's essentially what you're saying, faithful people. as you are. 
So we're doing pretty good. These are some things that I'd, I'd written down already. Um, acceptance is a big one. Uh, personal experience, outsider coming in. I mean, not just because I was the pastor, but just to felt a genuine love from our church. And um, I don't think I ever shared this with anybody, but um, like from the church-wise. But when we did our interview here, and, and then he asked us to come be the pastor, and we, we kind of just asked for a couple things. And it wasn't that we, I mean, those things were practical things, like, hey, can we, we do a couple things with the house, blah, 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 blah. And um, it wasn't so much of a, hey, I can't do this myself. It was more of a, let's see their investment and how much they, they're carrying church. It was kind of a test. And so um, I was just blown away by the response of the, the board at the time with a resounding, yes, we will do that for you. We will make sure that it's ready for you when you come to Terrace Bay. And I knew right away that uh, from that moment on, this was a, it was a generous, caring church. And I also know that there's a strong desire to see other people come to faith. And so I'm thankful that I get to, to be here today. Thankful that we get to excel on these things. I also, I also kind of, as I was studying and kind of going through this, I said, okay, what would Paul say about me personally? Okay, Gary, here's all the things that you're good at, but what is something that you're lacking in, Gary? Or what's something that you could be more of? Or what's something that, that uh, maybe we can test and grow in a little bit? Because we know that tests help us grow through things, right? Sometimes we fail a test, and it doesn't mean we give up. It means we, we study a little bit more, we learn a few more skills, and we, we do it again so that when the test comes, we can learn and grow through that opportunity. If you don't believe me, read through the, the beginning of the book of James. He talks about trials and tests all the time and how it builds faith and it builds perseverance in us. And so I said, okay, so, okay, if Paul is writing a personal letter to me, you know, dear brother Gary, grace and peace to you, servant of our Lord Jesus Christ, I know for sure that he's going to say, you are a mighty encourager. I said, you, you are someone that will stand with anybody and you will stand out their side and you will just continue to speak life into them. That's, that's evident in who I am, hands down. And so I wonder, if just between you and God this morning, what would, it, what would the one thing that God would say to you? Say, hey, you are X, Y, Z, fill in the blank. And then I kind of go, that's the easy part. And okay, God, what's the next thing you want to test me in? Where, is my, where do you need me to grow in my faith? What is it that, I, that you are wanting to pour into my life that I need to kind of get tested in and grow through? And, and those are always the hard prayers to pray. And I really appreciate that he's very clear in verse 8 that it says, this is not a command, but rather a test. Keep reading the story. And he says, okay, here's the test, but also here's my advice for you, being wise from 2 Corinthians 8 verse 10. Here's my advice. And in some translations, he actually says, here's my judgment. He says, it would be good for you to finish what you started a year ago. And every home renovation project spouse said amen. Last year, you were the first who wanted to give, and you were the first to begin doing it. Now you should finish what you started. Let the eagerness you showed in the beginning be matched now by your giving. Give in proportion to what you have. Whatever you give is acceptable if you do it eagerly. And give according to what you have, not what you don't have. Of course, I don't mean your giving should make life easy for others and hard for yourselves. I only mean that there should be some equality. Right now you have plenty and can help those who are in need. Later, they will have plenty and can share with you when you need it. In this way, things will be equal. As scriptures say, and it's a quote from Exodus 16, 18, those who gathered had a, had a lot had nothing left over, and those who gathered only a little had 
enough. And if you want to know that story, that's when God provided manna in the desert for the Israelites. And he said, basically saying, those who had a lot, they still had nothing left over, which was also the command God gave them. But even those who gathered only a little bit, they had enough. And so Paul is saying, look, if you have the ability to be generous, to help those in need, then be generous. If you don't have the ability to be generous, to help those in need, then don't. In other words, you can give a donation to church with your credit card, but if you don't have money in the bank to pay off the credit card to give to the church, don't give money to the church with the credit card. Don't go into debt to give. That's, that's essentially what it comes down to. But here's, here's, uh, here's a cool story about Paul as we close off our series today. I don't know if you know, but Paul himself is a big fan of grace. And he even says, to the grace of giving. Now, a verse that he wrote in Romans 5, he says, But God, God demonstrates his own love for us, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And so Paul, he is a recipient of incredible grace and incredible generosity himself. And his life is actually changed by generosity. And so here's what happens. If you don't know the story of Paul, he used to go by Saul, and he was a Jewish Pharisee. And he absolutely hated Jesus and the people that followed him. He absolutely hated people who followed what they called the way. And it said that the very first person who was ever persecuted for their faith in Jesus Christ, Stephen, it said that in Acts uh, chapter 8, 1, that Saul approved what they were doing. In other words, he was there standing there. He was the one holding all of their coats as they picked up all the rocks and they began to stone Stephen for his faith in Jesus Christ. And they all kind of looked at Paul and said, are we okay to do this? And Paul gave them the nod and said, go ahead, let me hold your things while you do it. And he approved and he gave them the ability to go ahead and stone Stephen. Acts 8.3, it says that Paul was going house to house, dragging out men and women and putting them in prison for their faith. So I'm going to call my neighbor who's the OPP officer. And this afternoon, he's going to come in the cruise and he's starting pulling you out of your house and bringing you to jail for your faith for coming to church today. How does that sound? Anyone in favor of that? Didn't think so. But this is who Paul was. Acts 9.1-2, it says, Meanwhile... Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. And he went to the high priest and he asked him for letters to the synagogue in Damascus. So that if he found anyone who belonged to the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. Now, if you look on a map, Jerusalem is here. Damascus is way up here, about 150 miles. Uh, there was no Tesla, no like airplanes. It was horseback, donkey back, or walk. 150 miles, about a six-day to two-week journey, depending on how you got there. And he says, I am so passionate about killing and imprisoning the people who follow the way that I am willing to go all the way to Damascus to capture them and bring them and throw them into jail and persecute them and kill them if I have to. This is just who Paul was. And on the way there, he has this radical encounter with Jesus. He's thrown off his horse, or he's thrown down. He sees a bright light, and he hears the voice of Jesus himself. He says, Paul, or Saul at this time, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? And he has this crazy change in perspective. He has a real encounter with Jesus. And all of a sudden, he, he is enlightened to the way of what is truth and what is not. And he's so interested in what Jesus has to say. And so it's time for Paul to go back to Jerusalem. And this is what happens in Acts, in Acts 9, 26 to 27. It says, when he came to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples, but they were all afraid of him. 
not believing that he really had become a disciple himself. Now, I think I would feel the same way. Paul comes knocking on my door. I'm going to expect that he's going to rip me out of my house and throw me in jail. So if I have the opportunity, he says, hey, can I come over? I'm probably going to say no. No, maybe not today, Paul. But 27, we have a man named Barnabas. Someone say Barnabas. It says, but Barnabas, Barnabas took him in and brought him to the apostles. And he told them how Saul on his journey had seen the Lord, and the Lord had spoken to him in Damascus, and he had preached fearlessly in the name of Jesus. So imagine, he's holding these letters from the high priest in Jerusalem, goes to the synagogue in Damascus, and he's ready to imprison all of these believers of Jesus. But instead, he has a radical transformation. And meanwhile, while the letters are probably still in his satchel, he starts preaching the same thing that all the believers of the way are believing and preaching themselves. So instead of imprisoning people, he starts to share in his experience with Jesus. And Barnabas says here, he preached fiercely and fearlessly in the name of Jesus. But Barnabas, why should they listen to Barnabas? He's just another apostle. What's the big deal? Why all of a sudden, what changes the perspective of the disciples and the apostles to say, sure, Barnabas brought Paul. Why do we respect him and listen to him? And it all comes back to generosity. And so if you go back to Acts chapter 4, 36-37, we actually learn about who Barnabas really is. His name is not Barnabas at all. It's actually Joseph. Okay, that's interesting. Joseph, he's a Levite from Cyprus, whom the apostles called Barnabas. They gave him a nickname, which means son of encouragement. And in verse 37, it says that he sold a field he owned, and he brought the money and put it at the apostles' feet. Barnabas wasn't even his real name. His real name was Joseph. But he was so incredibly generous and he was so incredibly encouragement, encouraging that he had such a radical transformation in his life and had such a gift of generosity that it changed the perspective and it even changed his own name. They said, Barnabas, that's what we're going to call you because of who you are. I said, your name may be Joseph, but we're going to call you Barnabas because of who you are. We see that generosity is obviously real. You're incredibly generous, so your faith must clearly be real. And so we have to listen to what you have to say. And so we see this incredible moment of, of, of generosity. He says, look, I have this field. I, I work it. I, I, it's my livelihood. I'm going to sell it. For the cause of Christ. I'm going to sell it for the kingdom. I'm going to give all the money from that sale and I'm just going to bless the church with it. And all of a sudden he, he kind of steps into ministry and starts encouraging local pastors and missionaries and starts encouraging the apostles. And so here he sees something. God has given him eyes to see the transformation that's taken place in Paul's life. And Paul, who wrote most of the New Testament, he uses the word grace over a hundred times. Well, many of the other authors combined, only use it about 50. He's welcomed into this group because of Barnabas. And they listen to Barnabas because he was generous. Now, let's not mistake the words wealth and generosity. Because just because you give a lot of money doesn't give you the ability to flaunt it and use it as a form of control. That's not what's happening here. But they're recognizing that of who Barnabas is. They're recognizing who Joseph is. He is so incredibly generous because of his heart because of the things that he does, that we're going to listen to what he has to say because here is a man who hears from God and walks closely with him. 
It's not that Barnabas paid his way and paid it for Paul to come in and said, okay, boys, if you, uh, if you accept Paul, I'll, give you an, I'll sell another part of the field and I'll give you more money. That's not what he did at all. They just looked at Barnabas and said, look, here is a man who's incredibly generous, who's incredibly invested in the kingdom, and he knows things. And because he's so invested and because he's so in love with God, we can trust what he has to say. Because he literally puts his money where his mouth is. He says all kinds of nice things, but he also does all kinds of nice, kind, Jesus-like things. So we can trust what he has to say. Barnabas' generosity is simply an outward sign of his true heart for Jesus and the kingdom's work. The apostle saw his sacrifice and he knew that he was the real deal. So in case you don't notice, as we come to the conclusion of this message today in the series this week, generosity gives an incredible amount of influence. You start giving of your time, you start giving your talent and your treasure, it blows people away, it surprises them, it shocks them. They don't even know what to say. It's a lot of fun, actually. And then it gives you the ability to speak into their lives. It gives you the ability to speak and influence. I hate people that complain. I don't know about you, but I hate people that complain. Does anyone here like to complain? Good, I thought so. Because if you like to complain, unless you're willing to do something about it, then don't complain. And generosity gives us the influence to make a difference. It gives us influence to make things work a little bit better. I'll tell you more stories about that another time because I try to live that quite regularly in my own life. But in Matthew 25, kind of right from the Gospel of Matthew, right from the words of Jesus, I believe that generosity starts with me and it starts with you. For I was hungry, you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was sick and you looked after me. And I was in prison, you came to visit me. And then Matthew 25, verse 40, it says, The king will reply, Truly I tell you, whatever you did for the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did it for me. The message of God's grace and generosity reaches people. I believe that you can make a difference in the lives of others. Um, I'd like to think, and you can challenge me if I'm wrong, because then it means we'll just change a few things up. But I like to think that everything we do here at church matters, and it makes a difference in the lives of people around us. Something as simple as renovating the kitchen downstairs, being able to have fellowship together and create those opportunity in those moments, I like to think that those moments change lives. Nancy says I forced her to wash dishes when she came to church. I deny that I forced her to do anything. But it was an opportunity for Nancy to get involved in those moments and become part of the family because everybody in the family has got jobs to do and Nancy's a really good dishwasher. So we're thankful she's part of the family. Tracy's out of a job because he used to always wash the dishes, but thanks, Nancy. But I believe everything that we do, every step of generosity we take, every time we invest in a hot dog, which is the most ridiculous thing you could ever think of, let's make a difference by giving a kid a hot dog. I tell you, the, 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 <laughs> Bill can attest to this, how happy the kids are. We've ran out of hot dogs like three weeks in a row now. We've had to give away the chicken dogs. It's awful. Uh, chicken dogs aren't very good. 
And the amount of opportunities we've had to speak into students and to staff and teachers' lives because we are present in the high school serving hot dogs every week is just outstanding, unbelievable. The fact that we provide an open, safe place for our youth to come and a place for them to belong, I like to think that it makes a difference in their lives. And it all starts with every one of us, as long as we are playing our part and following and doing all the things that we excel at and continue to discover what is it we excel at. We don't want to do the things we're bad at. Leave that for somebody else. Like, I'm not good at washing dishes, said every kid ever. So I asked Nancy to do it. No, I, I can wash dishes really well, too. I will wash dishes at Christmas time, Nancy. He'll hold me, hold me to it. I was teasing. We had, our, we had our kids camp the other day, and one of the parents was dropping off their kids. They were one of the first ones here. And, and Katie said, hey, can you go help Kai, who's one of our youth who was helping to lead that day? Can you go help him with the garbages? And I jokingly had on the shoulder, I said, oh, I don't do garbages. I'm the pastor. That's beneath me. <laughs> he couldn't believe I said that. I said, I'm kidding. I'm kidding, Tyler. Will, and my wife went and scrubbed toilets, so there's nothing beneath her as well. But... But it's amazing, like, I, I, as I was literally walking out with the garbage bag, you know, he almost believed that I was being truthful in that moment. I said, no, there's nothing that's beneath me to serve. So there's always, there's always an opportunity to serve, even if it is changing out garbages. And some of the things that kids throw in garbages are disgusting. So, anyways, I like to think that it makes a difference, even when it's disgusting. All right, I'm going to stop talking now. Just ask a nurse. It makes a difference, right, Judy? She was telling me this morning. Father, thank you for generosity. Thank you for the generosity you've shown us. God, we're ready for peace. We're ready for purpose. We're ready for joy that comes when we trust you with our finances. God, we ask that you would build our trust in you, knowing that we can never outgive you. Thank you for the many ways you're using our generosity to reach people. God, we pray these things in your name. Amen.